Hi, everyone. I know this episode is a little bit overdue, but as you'll see as we go through these Virgo Deccans, you can't rush art. <laughs> um, so, yeah, like before we jump into the actual um, archetypes of each of the Deccans of Virgo, I think Pow and I wanted to unpack the recent astro weather. I mean, what better way to start than with the fact that, you know, Mars is just recently separated from its opposition with uh, Neptune, you know, at the end of Virgo. So <laughs> how is that for you, pal? You know, I'm still processing that one because that one actually it was very, very activated for me. Like, even though Jupiter is my time lord, it's Neptune's in the 11th house, which is mm -hmm. I'm now in an 11th house perfection year. So it's like I've just been thinking a lot about how all of these years of just not understanding what the big deal about Neptune was. Now I'm kind of feeling it. Um, mine ended up not being so bad. Like, I think I ended up just, like, very literally, like, because Mars opposite Neptune, right? I, like, did a bunch of cardio. Like, I, I went on, like, the bike at the gym and just, like, mm -hmm. literally, like sweated out this transit. And I think that was probably the best remediation I could think of for that transit. Honestly, yeah. So for me, because Mars rules my second house, like, you know, like your literal stuff, like I found that I was always losing my stuff. Like I had to go to my partner's parents' house a lot and I would take all my things, you know, to do my readings, to do work for grad school. And then we'd come back and I would, I remember like packing stuff and it's like, I open my bag when I get home and it's not there. And I'm like, what did I do? And, you know, then it hit me. I was like, wait, this has been happening more often than it usually does. And so I looked at, um, you know, one of my apps and I was like, oh, shit, Neptune is opposing Mars right now. And that would explain a lot. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I, you know, going back to what you were saying about just this episode starting late, like some of it and you could explain it on your end. But for me, it's just it, it, things got really really busy for me as soon as like Virgo season began and um one of the you know the new moon in Virgo was just yesterday I'm really hoping that it'll bring a little bit of I don't know if reprieve is the right word because Virgo season so I, I imagine it's going to continue to be busy like I was just telling Mo right before this it's 7 a.m Hawaii time and my phone's already blowing up with work calls but I'm, I, I guess I'm kind of hoping that I'll get some more I guess like some direction or you know so it's like less chaotic but yeah, it's been it's been a kind of a chaotic couple of weeks for me, which is why it's this episode starting late on my end. Yeah, and for me, uh, it's actually been like the rescheduling of a move uh, on top of like um, like grad school stuff. So like, oh, also like, I just did my fresh voices talk on uh, triplicity, and that went really well. So. It's nice to have people engaging with like essential dignities outside of. Um, you know, exaltation, domicile, etc. And, you know, this is just the beginning of what I'm going to like put out related to triplicity and also like decans. I'm still trying to master the terms and the bounds, but I'm slowly getting somewhere with this. And I, I don't know, I was really happy with how the talk came together. Um, 
this is not the last you'll hear about triplicity from me so <laughs> i'm so proud of you and i'm excited to hear it i triplicity it's funny because for me it's it's like i'm almost like the opposite where it's like i think i have bounds um, or terms down and something i use a lot especially with like electional and horary but triplicity is still something i really don't think about very much i really haven't used much i know you and i have met have had many discussions about it and mm -hmm. i'm glad we're doing like this series like on the deccans and it does make me think like oh maybe like once we're done wrapping this up at the end of the year early next year i was like oh maybe it's maybe it's gonna be time to talk about triplicity or maybe we do it sooner yeah yeah, yeah. um but woo, uh i did want to talk a little bit about the um the new moon we just had yesterday like mm -hmm. i think it's like you know for people who are very keen on um the 12 letter alphabet or natural um sign house whatever um having uh the new moon on labor day feels very um it feels apt right? <laughs> uh for me because it's the seventh house transit it was actually really literal <laughs> It was really literal. I was like, uh, okay, this is a good day to like clarify relationships with people. And so that ended up happening. And, you know, I, I'm surprised I missed that because, you know, the sun is one of my co-lords for the year. And because um, I'm in a Taurus perfection year and I'm a Taurus sun. Mm -hmm. And so that new, the new moon was actually right on my lot of spirit. Ooh. And the seventh. And so I'm like, oh, okay, great, cool. What what degree was this new moon in? Do you remember off the top of your head? It was like 14-ish. Okay, okay. Something like that. Okay, it's like a bit away from my lot of fortune, but okay. Yeah, yeah. for me, this, it was, you know, it's in my fifth house, and this was a very relaxing Labor Day weekend. I mean, I still had a little bit of work because it's fucking Virgo. But I felt like actually a lot of this weekend building up to the new moon was me just really reflecting on or really kind of pushing myself on like, what do I need to do to like really relax, like really have fun and like, and just kind of honing in on some of these deeper questions of like, what is it that I like really, really want? Like what actually really makes me happy? And I'm, I'm excited for this like next lunation cycle because um, I mean, another thing is like for when I'm job hunting <laughs> and yeah, like a lot of people will associate the 10th house with career and that's true. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to downplay that, mm -hmm. but because I'm in an 11th house perfection year, like I can't like, and this is just general advice for anyone. I can't sleep on the opposite house, the fifth house. And I've been, it's been really, really interesting, like seeing like, how that's kind of been playing out even just like in my job hunting alone um because i feel like that fifth house stuff is coming up of again like what is it that i really want like what's like the lifestyle i want to live like what's like what do i what do i want life to look like like not just in my career but like outside of my career as well like what kind of city do i want to live in so i could live the life i want to live like all those kind of questions are coming up for me yes no like i've also been thinking about like the opposite house stuff like right now there's nothing going on in scorpio yet but i feel like this next after this like little interlude with all these like not so nice libra transits um i feel like i'm gonna start to really understand like the third ninth house axis a little mm -hmm. better especially with my time lord getting ready to 
leave Libra sadly and go into Scorpio. <laughs> yes, I these final moments of Venus <laughs> in Libra, I, I really tried to milk the transit for what it was. Like I got a haircut that I'm like really happy about. And like I finally landed on a really good um, face wash and like shampoo that I'm like oh, iconic. It's just these nice, like, final, like, Venus and Libra gifts. Like, thank you. <laughs> like, now it's time for Venus and Scorpio. <laughs> that is so iconic. Like. Yeah. And, you know, on, on those um, those Libra transits you're referencing, like, Mo and I were talking right before this, like, um, do we, like, have to talk about Mercury retrograde coming up at the end of the month? Like, can we just, like, pretend it's, like, not going to happen? And unfortunately, no, we can't pretend. Um, but yeah, I, I do think it's worth mentioning that Mercury will station retrograde at the end of this month, and it'll be square Pluto. Um, like, it just... <laughs> it applies this... Before it stations retrograde, it applies that square to Pluto. It starts to separate a little bit, and then it stations, which means that it's going to go... <laughs> it's going to, like, reverse and then, like, hit that square again. So it's just, like, plenty fun for all of us. And then on top of that, you, like, as we had mentioned, Venus will be in Scorpio, but then soon Mars will enter Libra. So you'll have that whole mutual deception thing kind of going on. And then, and then, yeah, and then Venus is going to be opposing Uranus. So the mm-hmm. end of this month is going to be, it's going to be shaky. I, I'm just going to, I'm just trying to brace myself for it, but um i'm also really gonna for me in any way i really want to just enjoy the next like couple weeks before any of that hits too yeah no um i mean with that like i think we can get into the virgo archetype um who virgo uh so one thing i want to say is people often forget that you know um mercury rules virgo (laughs) Um, like, I feel like when people describe the mercurial archetype, they don't realize how, um, Mercury more so than other planets has this like crazy duality and people just focus on the trickster, the jokester, the, um, chaotic, um, I guess sort of influence that Mercury can be, but. I don't know, I feel like when I was like revisiting the Deccans and looking at uh, 36 Secrets, I was realizing uh, Mercury's function as, you know, the psychopomp, right? Uh, Mercury the Undertaker, which I feel like is kind of captured in the Hermit as an archetype, since the Hermit is the um, major that's associated with Virgo. And I feel like, you know, there's a certain range that people deny Mercury when they feel like Mercury is just Gemini. <laughs> yes, I, I. it's funny you say that because that, that was a lot of my um, reflections too. Like, I, I just thought a lot about how, um, yeah, Mercury has two domiciles. It's air and earth. And yeah, like one of those domiciles is Gemini. And I think more of the Gemini stereotypes you do get when you see like, gemini placements is like that chatty jokester trickster mercury but there like you said there is also um there's a psychopomp mercury but there's also like the magician mercury and i've been thinking i thought a lot about that as i was just kind of revisiting these three decans um i you know a lot of the virgo stereotypes is like this detail-oriented perfectionist mercury um 
but I also really see, I mean, another like just kind of archetype of Virgo is this, the hard worker, right? Like I do, I do see that. I, I do see like Mercury here as being like the get shit done Mercury, <laughs> um, the magician Mercury, right? Of just like being able to just like have a vision and then just like fucking do it. And so, um, yeah, I, <laughs> weren't you the one who had the tr- thread on Twitter about, um, you were quote tweeting someone who was saying that Mercury was not oh. exalted in Virgo. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, God. Like, um, somebody really tried to argue with me as if there aren't, like, you know, 2,000 plus years of astrological tradition suggesting that mercury's exaltation is in virgo um that was that was pretty funny to me um (laughs) i you know like looking back i wish i handled that a little better so i was just like you know what after citing three different sources from even including the vedic because there are a couple of vedic sources um you know and i think like one of the sources i cited was like someone writing down like something that was like largely verbally passed down um saying that hey mercury is exalted in virgo (laughs) it's like okay this is even something that the vedic people agree on right so this is not i'm not just making this up at all um and i think that especially experiencing uh the mercury mars conjunction uh last month i think it became really clear to me that yes mercury is exalted in virgo because i think that conjunction was taking place pretty close to mercury's exaltation degree at about 15 virgo so yeah like it was a day where if you like verbally checked people you were probably in the right (laughs) (laughs) I, i don't know i don't know um yeah yeah um, I, I think the other thing I think about with Virgo is just the fact that it's mutable Earth. And you so you get this versatility with Virgo that you won't see in, you know, fast moving Capricorn or slow moving Taurus, which mm-hmm. I think is just, um, you know, and then and then the other thing to point out with Virgo is like on top of th- this being Mercury's domicile and exaltation, this is also like Jupiter's detriment and Venus's fall. And I'm very excited to talk about Venus in these decans because we also have um, very interesting that, yeah, this is Venus's fall, but um, Venus also rules two out of these three decans, depending on the um, the rulership, the decan rulership system you use. Mm, no, that that makes sense um and i think that how do i put virgo as a sign like i feel like because virgo is this weird combination of earth and mutability which people don't seem to find compatible there's this weird resonance that mercury like in the virgo way has with like aquarius and like you know just because like the mute like the nature of the modality and the element in question kind of don't seem compatible because when you think earth you think fixed and you think taurus right um and i get mad when people describe virgo like it's taurus it's like (laughs) no uh like when people say virgos are stubborn no (laughs) not really i mean there's a difference between being stubborn and um you know really um being particular 
Mm-hmm. There's a particularity to Virgo just because of the mercurialness. Mercury likes to break things into smaller pieces. And, you know, when that, that combines with Earth, like it really needs to like be tangible pieces or something that you can possibly put together in another way. Um, that's not being stubborn. That's just being picky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And on that, the break, the wanting to break things down into smaller pieces, right? I think that that's why Jupiter can really struggle, is in detriment here and struggles here, right? Because Jupiter really is about like the big picture. And, um, and then I, and then I think Venus also struggles here because, you know, when you break things down into when you're just so focused on the details, right? It can be kind of hard to stop and smell the roses. Yes, like another thing that I kept seeing was like there's a lot of this discourse about Venus can't be fallen in Virgo because X, Y, and Z. And it's like, okay, this is where, you know, the other dignities come in. So it's like Virgo, Venus, despite being fallen, like is probably having a little better time than Jupiter in, say, Virgo, because Virgo, Jupiter doesn't have any sort of triplicity in Virgo, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't have a decan. It does have terms, but. Other than that, like, um, Jupiter really struggles because, you know, like I tell people who have a lot of um, jovial mercurial influence that's, like, battling it out for control, like, I I always tell them, you know, there's this struggle to unite the big picture with, like, the finer details. And I think that what's nice about Jupiter in... Virgo people is that when they can really embrace the big picture, they can do so in a very like calculated, methodical way. But sometimes, like I find that with um, people who have, you know, debilitated Jupiters, is that they have a hard time embracing. Um, like, how do I put this? They have a hard time, you know, embracing the principles of generosity, freedom. Um, things like that and so but with Virgo in particular maybe like Jupiter and Capricorn as well like as we'll talk about it because I know a lot of Jupiter and Capricorn people um including my boss like I'm sorry I'm just thinking because like I think it was the day of the Mars the Mars Neptune opposition that like you know I think we, I realized this fundamental difference between me, a Sag Jupiter, and him, a Capricorn Jupiter, is that he's the kind of person who's hesitant to invest in things mm. if he doesn't see progress. But it's just like, I'm the kind of person where it's like, if you don't give people resources, they can't do anything. So like, what's the point? Mm. <laughs> and I find that um, two of the Earth Jupiters, so um, Capricorn and Virgo Jupiter, can struggle with that, like putting resources into things if they feel like there's no like tangible evidence that it'll go somewhere because they don't want to waste there's this fear of waste that i see with like uh jupiter and virgo and capricorn especially but then in the case of venus like because there's triplicity there in order to have like beautiful rewarding fulfilling experiences you have to have standards it's okay to have standards. Um, but, you know, I find the challenge with Virgo Venus is that there comes a point that, like, to where, like, standards can, like, make it hard to really enjoy things. Yes. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, um, yeah. I think 
you know, you were mentioning earlier that the Hermit is the major card associated with Virgo. And I did want to touch up, but go back a little bit to that before we go into the Deccans. But mm-hmm. yeah, you know, with, with the Hermit, right? There's like, the Hermit's the Wanderer, but obviously there's also just like a lot of implications about, um, you know, being alone, loneliness, um, and, you know, turning inward that are associated with this card. And, and it made me, as I was studying these three decans, it did make me realize that there is a, there is a loneliness to each of the three, um, cards associated with these three decans and then the decans themselves. And I'm excited to just kind of talk about more of that, you know, as we move, Mm -hmm. um, as we go down through each three of these like Virgo decans, um, I, you know, I, I, I immediately thought of the phrase, like, you know, we're born alone and we die alone. And there is mm-hmm. just this somber reality that we are that. Um, but embracing it can lead to, like, you know, a hyper-focus on a skill or a goal or, like, a hyper-focus on, like, personal or material gain or hyper-focus on your legacy and what you're, like, leaving behind. Yeah, and I felt like, I don't know about you, but especially once I got to the um, the Ten of Pentacles chapter in 36 Secrets, where... Um, uh, Susan Chang breaks down, um, you know, the progression through the pentacles suits. So like, you know, with the two, three, and four, which are like, you know, that cardinal earth energy Capricorn, you're starting to, you know, see what you can do with material, whether that's, you know, your body or like, you know, money or something you want to create. And then like Taurus describes like, you know, the struggle to give that form. And then, you know, the Virgo decans and um, cards associated with kind of describe the progression of tending to like the legacy once you've given something form. It's like, okay, I've like, you know, plowing the seeds and planting them, cultivating them so something grows, something finally grows. Like now what do I do with it? Like, and you know, what's next? So I, I really, I really felt that. And that really resonated with me. And it, makes me think about um i guess virgo season a bit differently especially because in the northern hemisphere at least um there's this progression towards you know the fall equinox and you know it's like the reaping of the last you know crops because this is like a season of harvesting usually the reaping of the last crops before you know things start to swing the other way so to speak Right. Is there anything else on the Virgo archetype you wanted to talk about before we jump into Virgo deck and one? Uh, no, let's just jump into it. All right. Virgo deck and one. <laughs> this deck is ruled by the sun and Mercury and Austin Kopic refers to this one as the tree's fruit. And the minor card associated with this is the Eight of Pentacles, which um, T. Susan Chang refers to as the Lord of Prudence. So um, where do you want to start with this deck in? Well, um, I mean, I really like the, uh, I guess, the agrarian sort of metaphors that both Austin and Susan bring up in their, um, in their writings on this deck in. Uh, I've seen that like just going thinking about my chart examples and just my experience because I have I have a lot of fortune in this deck in. Um you know 
I think the combination of like the sun and Mercury here is really interesting because, you know, people think of the sun as being like the mind or the soul, the intangible and Mercury kind of being that go between which allows you to communicate or convey something that's important. And just bringing in that influence within like a mutable earth sign, there's this need to kind of experiment and find your craft or find the medium by which you're going to express yourself um there's this huge compared to some of the other sun decans that are you know like thinking of <laughs> leo one for example like there's this um different approach to getting attention right it's not so much a, i need people to look at me but needing to find your essence and um maybe finding the correct medium for expressing that essence yeah, I, <laughs> um, you know, even when you were saying like, okay, the sun just representing what's kind of just like what's tangible and then Mercury being like, um, like as I said earlier, the psychopomp, right? I I, th I think a lot about like when I look at the eight of pentacles, right? It's a pretty straightforward card. Like <laughs> out of all, you know, the, there's, there's many cards in the tarot deck, right? Where, you know, it's there's just so much meaning that can be derived from this card. This one's not really one of those. Like it's, it's, it's pretty straightforward, but I really do see the sun and Mercury playing out in this card alone where it's like, okay, um, this, this person is just so consumed in like making this pinnacle, right. They're making their craft and like they're mm -hmm. consuming what's in front of them. But um, as anyone who know, like who's ever done any kind of art before knows, like there's also like a vision, right. That you're kind of like, mm -hmm. um, that's kind of guiding you like toward, like whatever it is you're going to create, like there's an end product that you're already kind of thinking about in order to like kind of move through this process. Yeah, no, I also really like how uh, in 36 Secrets, what's emphasized is this, like the beginning of the sun's, sun's descent into darkness and how there's all these like weird um, links with Persephone. Uh, if anybody's familiar with like the myth, you know, she's kidnapped by Hades. Uh, Demeter struggles and goes on this long journey to find her. Uh, she does find her eventually after, you know, causing the humans to suffer for a bit. And, um, you know, because you know, she misses her daughter because that's what's important to her. Right. But, you know, Persephone eating the pomegranate, which is like kind of the tree's fruit. And <laughs> um, side note, I'm interested in the fact that like there's this weird fruit metaphor for the first decan of Gemini. And then there was also that for um, Virgo, Virgo one, like if you use Austin's uh, images for the Deccans, I think that's really interesting. Mm. It's kind of like describing how maybe mm, something about Mercury, especially in the first part of Mercury's domiciles is like just kind of taking a bite into something, right? And seeing where that takes you there's something about like consuming knowledge whether that's you know through learning an abstract idea in the case of gemini or like having like a physical experience in this case this could be like the creation of art that's meant to like represent something abstract um like i don't know i, I just thought of that now sorry but anyway <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i think um I really liked what Austin said about this decan, or you know, he was describing it as the tree's fruit, right? Like mm -hmm. to, cu to cultivate a plant, there's things, of course, there's things you can do to like help with that process, right? You fertilize and water and all that mm -hmm. stuff. 
but you also can't rush the process and you also can't no. overdo it either and i do think that that to me really speaks to the mutable earth that that is virgo versus capricorn and taurus right where capricorn very much i mean as a cardinal earth can <laughs> um i mean mm-hmm. still saturn ruled but there can be you know a bit of like okay we gotta get this done here like we gotta lay out the plans like you know we gotta go 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 um Versus, of course, you know, slow-moving Taurus, which actually Taurus Duckins also have a lot of their agrarian <laughs> um, significations too. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think that uh, what I really like though about this is that it doesn't just apply to like the process of like contributing to an art form, the development of you know something, right? Like it also has to do with uh, measuring reality and its limits, right? Because part of like knowing what your role in a process is, is knowing what's possible and what isn't. And I feel like that's where that experimental quality of um, Virgo Mercury especially comes through. Um, I also think of Chthonic Mercury, which is, again, that Mercury is the undertaker. I'm going to go get my hands dirty and, like, go into the, you know, underbellies of a process where a lot of people don't like to go, right? Just also thinking of the hermit as well like you know in order to you know do these things and contribute to a process sometimes you have to um get your hands dirty mm-hmm. a little mm-hmm. bit and i like too that he susan chang points out that you know when you look at the hermit card right the hermit's holding a lantern like he's holding it outward to obviously mm-hmm. to light his path um and i just think about a lot about that with just the sun mercury combination in this mm-hmm. deck in um I, you know, out of all the three of the Virgo Deccans, you know how, like, we were talking, like, with the Leo episode that, like, Leo 1's probably, like, the most stereotypical of the Leo Deccans. This one's got, I think, most of the, you know, those detail-oriented, like, hardworking stereotype of Virgo, Mm -hmm. for sure. And I think a lot of that had to do with, like, you know, just how strong Mercury can be here. Um, But, yeah, I mean, you look at the Eight of Pentacles and you're like, okay, yeah, that that's someone who's very hardworking and really, really kind of focused and honed in on whatever kind of skill or, you know, craft that he's got on his mind right now. Okay, yeah. So I can read the um, descriptions from Ibn Ezra, the Picatrix, Agrippa, and the Avanajatika. So I will do that now. Uh, Okay, for... The first decan of Virgo, Ibn Ezra says, this is a maiden wrapped in a cloak and wearing worn out clothes with a jug in her hand. And she stands in Myrtle and she wants to go to her father's house. Um, the Picatrix says, a beautiful girl covered over with a woolen sheet and holding in her hand a pomegranate. And this is a face of sowing, plowing, of making the trees to sprout, of gathering bunches of grapes and of the good life. Uh, Agrippa says, in the first face of Virgo, ascendeth the figure of a good maid and a man casting seeds. It signifieth getting of wealth, ordering of diet, plowing, sowing, and peopling. Uh, and then finally, the Yavanajataka says, the first portion of Virgo is a black man who possesses subtle knowledge of crafts and who knows the rules of calculating, cleverness, and storytelling. He is attached to beauty and skill and is determined in his purpose. So I really like those images because it gives it gives you that sense of like needing to um, I guess figure out the nature of something or the process of something. But like I don't know about you, but when I was reading some of the other ones, I was thinking of the opposite decan, which would be the first decan of Pisces, because mm. there's this element of 
wandering or needing to go in search of something. Whereas like with Pisces, it's a literal journey mm-hmm. and you're like abandoning something kind of to find something deeper. I think that in this case, it's like finding a craft rather than going on a journey. Absolutely. Yeah. Or, you know, journeying within, right? Because there is just something mm-hmm. sometimes about just really staying put <laughs> and focusing on one thing that can help you really discover more about yourself or this maybe even just about this, whatever it is you're focusing on. I, I do like, you know, the description of the final description you read, right, of just like the storyteller, because Gemini gets all of the credit for being like the talkative storytelling, like good with the words, um, Mercury domicile. But and yeah, there is the reality that there is a more there's more introvertedness to Earth signs. Right. But no, like mm-hmm. there there is a, it's still Mercury ruled um, Virgo. And so I have I have really good example charts for this. Exa- actually, I'm like excited to jump into them. Are you ready yeah, for those yet? Yeah. Another thing I want to say is that both thinking about my chart examples and um, some of the imagery is that, you know, there is this like underlying focus on, you know, basics or rudiments. And, you know, there is extreme poverty that does show up in some of the placements of people in these decans. So that's in the background but I think that you know in spite of that these people have the you know grit and determination to figure out what their purpose is right Uh Um, because you know when you're stripped of all the extra all you have is yourself and you have to figure out you know like in this challenging world what am I supposed to be doing what's my outlet what's my role right yeah yeah okay examples okay <laughs> i have a i have a good sun and virgo example for this decan so mary yeah. mary shelley has her son oh, in wow, this decan yeah in the third house with mars and <laughs> yeah she she's most well known for writing frankenstein and frankenstein's <laughs> literally <laughs> it's literally a story about a scientist diligently working on a science experiment gone wrong. He mm-hmm. actually creates like a quote unquote monster. <laughs> and um, this is arguably the first science fiction novel ever. And I, wow. you know, that, that, and going back, it's both Sun and Mars that she has in this decan. And that Mars rules her fifth and her 10th house. So I, I think it just tracks really, really well. Um, yeah. <laughs> The only sun example I could find, I actually have a sun slash Mercury example, and that's um, Gretchen Whitmer, who's currently the governor of um, Michigan, I believe. Mm. Uh, So she has her son in the sixth house conjunct a retrograde Mercury, who's very angry (laughs) um, because it's combust. Um, And what was interesting is that uh, during one of her... um, I think it was when she was campaigning for Senate, like uh, Michigan State Senate. She was describing her experiences, um, you know, with sexual assault um, and advocating for, you know, the right to choice when it comes to abortion, like thinking about the fact that the son rules the fifth house. And what's interesting about this is, you know, if you think about signs that are deemed fertile versus not Mm. like Virgo is classically ironically like not a fertile sign just because it's ruled by Mercury which is fickle right um and so like I think it's interesting that that shows up and this was something she gained a lot of um attention for politically and I also think about the fact that she holds um political office 
like local political offices. And I think that, you know, her Mercury ruling the third house shows that. And, you know, through her tenure, she's been concerned about, you know, the environment, uh, thinking about how most recently she uh, basically tried to shut off a pipeline between like the US and Canada, basically. Um, and, you know, just thinking about like, some of her policies around uh, children and education, tying in those like fifth house, you know, the sun, Mercury themes, because I think uh, Michigan had this, um, what do they have? They had some like messed up policy where it's like, if you can't read by age, whatever, you fail the grade. And they don't have like, you know, universal pre-K. And so I think about like, you know, her using her position in local office to do things that are one helpful for the environment. I see a lot of like environmental stuff with people who have placements in this decan. Um, and then, you know, just thinking about, you know, the things that kids need to flourish educationally, like that feels very literal to me. <clears throat> huh. She's yeah. uh, is, she's the one where there was a militia that attempted to try mm-hmm. to like kidnap her and yeah, right. Yep. Oh God. Yep, that's her. Wow. Wow. And you know, she was on Joe Biden's short list of potential VP <clears throat> uh picks. So yeah. Cool. I also have a combust mercury example. Um so <laughs> Louis the sixteenth. <laughs> this is the actually I really I, I mean I out of all the charts I looked at, I really want to deep dive into this one like um for my own mm-hmm. this curiosity later because it's a very fascinating chart. He's a Virgo he's a Virgo rising too. Um he's so he's got Mercury it's Mercury and it's joy at zero degrees Virgo, but it's retrograde and combust. Um, because mm-hmm. his son is in Leo, right on Regulus at 29 <laughs> degrees Leo in the 12th house, wow. enjoying the Jupiter. And um, yeah, it, it's it's a really fascinating chart because there, there is, you, you, you know, like everyone knows, right? He's the last, key, he's known for being the last French king because he was, um, he was mm-hmm. deposed and then beheaded um, by guillotine. And so when you look at his life, you know what, like, at the grand scheme of things, it looks like a very, very unfortunate life. But at the same time, it's like, well, he also had a really good run of things like leading up to then, right? He was born, he was born a fucking prince. He became um, Dauphin like pretty, at a pretty young age, like by age 11. He obviously lived a huge life of opulence up until that point. Anyway, going back to this Mercury in this decade, you know, he was actually really, um, it's, you know, for a lot of these like final monarchs, his was a classic case of like, he, was known to be really timid, really indecisive. He just really wasn't confident enough or tr- well-trained enough to become king of France. <clears throat> and mm-hmm. all he really wanted to do was hunt. And it just obviously drove everyone in government nuts because he was just constantly on hunting trips. And I just mm-hmm. think about how different his life might have been had he not you know, been born into such wow. a, um, a rigid post, right? He probably would have mm-hmm. just been like some average ass dude um, <laughs> who yeah. just wanted to hunt all day. <laughs> you know, actually, no, I'm thinking now I do have a couple of sun examples. And like, it's interesting because... Um, what I notice is that some of my examples are people who come from like insane privilege or have a lot of insane privilege. And then people who started out not having that and then getting to some level of comfort. So like hmm. Warren Buffett, for example, he has a son Neptune conjunction in this decade. 
And so it's funny how you said this Deccan was great for storytelling because apparently like if you follow some of his financial advice and shit and like, you know, whatever he puts out for his investors or like people who follow, I guess, his methods of investing, he's described as a great storyteller, right? Okay, that's hilarious. Um, Sorry, I don't want to... No, go for it. Go for it. Go for it. That's hilarious. I'm glad you mentioned that because, yes, he is known for being a really good storyteller. And I do do communications work, um, you know, as my job. And I constantly, when I'm training people on how to write or storytell, I talk about Warren Buffett because one of the things that Warren Buffett's known for is that when he writes his investor reports, he doesn't write mm-hmm. as if he's trying to write to all like all the hundreds, thousands of investors out there. He writes as if he's thinking about like he's writing to one of his daughters, like one person who's like not even an investor. And it's like, that's why he's such a good storyteller because he's really mastered yeah. the art of like speaking one and one a person, even if your audience may be thousands. Yeah. And what's interesting is that, you know, him being a person who has amassed so much wealth, I think it's interesting that, you know, ignoring the fact that he's like basically a capitalist pig who benefits off of people, right? Because no one, no one becomes a billionaire by ethical means. Like, let's, (laughs) let's be real. Um, You know, he has all these seemingly progressive social justice views. And I think about the fact that, you know, the son has to do with his politics, because it's like a you know the ruler of the ninth house it's conjunct neptune which you know some people would say neptune is very um egalitarian or left wing i mean that's debatable (laughs) (laughs) i would say maybe the illusion of egalitarian right and so like he tends to endorse a lot of um democratic candidates and give them money and funnels money into their campaigns and um you know he tries to use his I guess money and influence to influence politics which doesn't surprise me I also think about another person who has done something similar so I mean love him hate him Lin-Manuel Miranda he's actually a Virgo stellium oh (laughs) in um the sixth house so like remember that post I made the other day about the sexual tension Virgo placements and Leo placements and the arts because I feel like (laughs) I feel like people just say, oh, it's just Taurus and um, Libra and Pisces because, you know, those are the signs where Venus, the general significator of art, does well, right? But I don't know. There's this, like, insane tension between, like, purposeful art or preserving the culture or history behind art that's, like, huge with, like, Virgo and Leo placements. And, like, I swear to God, the last, like... Two months, I cannot tell you how many like Leo placements were in my consultation room talking about I studied art history, I do art in some capacity, like whether it's for Leo placements, it tended to be more visual. Um, for Virgo placements, sometimes it was a little more like hands-on. And I don't know, it, it was just strange, okay? Like, and I was like, somebody has to talk about this. Why is no one talking about it? <laughs> And no, I just think of the fact that Lin-Manuel has his Jupiter in this first decade. And I think that um, what he's done with his artistry, which I feel is more captured by that Mars ruling his ascendant in the middle decade of Virgo. But, you know, technically Jupiter is conjunct Mars, even though it's wide. Um, I think of the fact that Jupiter rules like 
politics like in his chart just because it's the ninth house ruler but it also rules you know like the 12th house of like foreign places and things like that and i feel like he's tried to like use his artistry to like drive his political ideology and like his um what's it called um philanthropy for you know um his fam one of his family's home countries of Puerto Rico like um he did a lot of work around trying to use his artistry to you know bring awareness to the culture but also to like take that money and funnel it into um you know like aid for that but like I think of the fact that you know Jupiter is not happy in Virgo and I think of the fact that he got criticized for you know basically performing Hamilton in Puerto Rico for you know charity purposes when I think his him and his father were like affiliated with some um lobbying group that basically got parts of the island you know sold to people at the expense of having education people having housing and it's like how are you you know trying to like like it felt like disingenuous almost right yeah. so I feel like you know while he's trying to do good it's not like the actual consequences are not good and I think of the fact that you know Jupiter is trying um that moon on the midheaven in Capricorn as well and like that moon rules the fourth house of like land and like you know maybe his home culture and heritage right so there's element of like mm, selling out almost like mm. just saying uh, it, it's kind of there like I, I don't know but like I think that element of having good storytelling and him being such a prolific uh playwright mm -hmm. is like captured by that placement for sure I so he's in the the Netflix documentary and Walter Mercado the astrologer where Walter's giving him a reading and I really wish I could have seen that whole part it would have been real I, that would have been really cool to have seen but yeah um my 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 I'm just gonna zip through my last two examples because I have another storytelling one so I just said that Mary Shelley the the author had her son in this decan um her husband Percy Bysshe Shelley has his Mercury in this decan in the fifth That's house awesome. yeah it, it's <laughs> um it's funny because you know Percy Bysshe Shelley is obviously you know as being a man in the 1800s right I, contemporarily was more known as the writer between the two um mm -hmm. it's funny because now I, I couldn't I couldn't tell you one thing he wrote but I could tell you yeah. about Mary Shelley's Frankenstein but anyway his is in the fifth house and I, I I'm a Taurus rising too so I also have Virgo in the fifth house so I very much can relate to his life but he was really really known for obsessing over his hobbies which included <laughs> reading and writing of course science experiments <laughs> and oh the occult God. and he had said that if he had not discovered writing he would have become a magician because he just <laughs> <laughs> um but he really wasn't into the occult he was into like really really like dangerous science experiments actually that i'm sure were also mm. linked with the occult <laughs> Probably. but um you know with this being a fifth house placement he was actually also he had a lot of tumultuous is tumultuous issues around children and sex like he 
um, you know, he had met Mary Shelley while he was still married to his first wife. The first mm-hmm. wife was pregnant, and then he got Mary pregnant, and then you know, and then both of the women ended up losing their children. It was um, oh. it was really rough time for everyone all around. But that continued actually. Unfortunately, hap- um, it happened with both Percy and Shelley. They never had a child that survived. Um, but. That was my last storytelling or Mercury example. I did have, I wanted to give one example of something that's not so like stereotypically mercurial, but this it fits so well with Virgo. One is Henry Ford has his ascendant oh, in wow. this Deccan. And it's a little tricky because it's a 7 a.m. birth time and the ascendant at zero degrees, but I think it tracks mm. um, because, I mean, come on, he's known for the assembly line. Truthfully. <laughs> Truthfully. Like, wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have a couple that I can rattle off real quick. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh the astrologer Alberuni uh has his ascendant here. Uh he's also Virgo Stellium, actually. Um and so he's a polymath. I hated his wiki bio because they tried to like distance him from astrology. Even though, like, first they go, yeah, he was, like, appointed court astrologer in, like, 1071 of so-and-so. And And I'm just, like, they're, like, oh, but look, in one of his works, he disavowed astrological prognostication. And I'm, like, okay, we get it. You don't like astrology. Shut up. He was still an astrologer. (laughs) Um, But, no, he was known for being highly technical with his work. And I think for the fact that, like, one of his, like, most critical observations was about, like, the sun's apogee like which ptolemy thought was um a fixed point he's like no it moves it doesn't stay in one place but um this was like really critical for other you know astronomers in trying to understand the earth's movement like so they used a lot of his documentation of eclipse data ascensional times and things to understand how the earth rotates and then i think some other astronomer applied the concept of the sun's apogee to the moon to figure out things about eclipses so like i thought that was really interesting like given that you know the sun is like one of the rulers like and he's known for like finding some of this stuff out but no this dude had his hand in all sorts of pots like in terms of like writing about things and like learning things um i have a couple of mercury examples i have harry the duke of sussex he actually has mercury conjunct his lot of fortune in this decan in the ninth house um it's interesting because you know like now he's emerged as someone who's into storytelling and he talks a lot about his struggles with mental health most notably um and i think about the fact that mercury also rules the sixth house and i would put athleticism in the sixth house but also like animals and i know he like one thing he does is he plays uh polo for charity uh to raise fund for funds for people who are struggling with aids in south africa i believe um so that's something that he's been doing a lot more of um but yeah no he's like become this like influence who's like using the concept of storytelling and inspiring other people to share their stories like to like get more spiritually and physically and what have you aligned and so it's interesting that you know mercury does rule his lot of fortune and like they're conjunct and like i think of the lot of fortune as a second ascendant and you know, for the fact that Mercury is also the ruler of the 10th from the Ascendant, like maybe him like leaning into that role more is just kind of like what he was meant to do. I don't know. That's just the way I see it. Um, And then I have another Mercury example, which is Lakeith Stanfield. 
you might know him from you know like get out most recently um holy crap what was that movie because it was it just came out i'm blanking no hold up give me a second oh um i just watched this i'm so mad i can't remember i'm sorry to bother you it's sorry to bother you right that's one but there was another one it was it was about um the black panthers like fuck it's like judas and the yes judas and the black messiah yes okay there we go yes okay so what's interesting is that i think of the fact that like the reason he got into acting is like you know venus and mercury are both retrograde conjunct in his 12th and he's a libra rising and he got into the arts because like you know it was an outlet for like his difficult childhood right um and so i think it's also interesting that he is like a self-described method actor and he goes to extreme lengths to like really understand the roles that he's playing and i think of the fact that he always plays these sort of like tormented figures or like these villains and he does it so convincing convincingly that you like hate him right mm-hmm. <laughs> it's kind of scary um my last two examples are dolly parton uh who has her mm-hmm. moon in virgo in the first house Aww. it's like i think it's at zero degrees actually yeah uh, but no, she had a rough, rough childhood. Um, she was very poor growing up, but like she found success in the music industry by writing about these experiences and, you know, being inspired by the sounds. But like, what really made her like a pop culture icon is that um, she did a lot of collaborative work with this. Like, I think she wrote songs with her uncle, for example, and then. Um, a lot of her collaborations in and out of country music and the fact that people would cover these songs that she would write like made her hugely influential in uh, pop culture. So I think that's really sweet. And then finally, I have Gene Simmons, you know, leader of the band Kiss. <laughs> he has his son and Saturn conjunct in this decade. Um, so people might forget this, but he was actually born in Israel. Um mm. Saturn rules his fourth house. Uh, His dad was literally a carpenter and like they grew up really poor. And then um, I think of his son as ruling groups, right? And like he experimented with lots of different um, bands and like a lot of his struggle was, I don't like the aesthetic. I don't like this. Like there was something wrong with like the vibe and the sound. So he was just like going through groups and bands all the time before he finally founded Kiss, you know? yeah hmm. i don't know <laughs> interesting yeah but oh we can move to virgo too because i feel like i have the most examples for <laughs> i have good examples for this one so yeah virgo 2 is venus and saturn ruled Austin calls this one the hammer and anvil, and the um, card associated with this is the nine of pentacles, which T. Susan Chang calls the lord of gain. I I have my lot of fortune in this decan, and I draw the nine of pentacles a lot. <laughs> and so I have a very special affinity <laughs> to this decan. But... Um, yeah, I mean, even just the hammer and anvil significations that um, that Austin uses to describe this, there's, um, you know, it's this idea that something's beautiful, something beautiful is created through hard work and metal and fire, like, you know, the, like that work in the forge is not in any way glamorous, but then what results is something really beautiful, whether it's like really beautiful jewelry or, you know, whatever kind of metallurgy. 
you're doing. Yeah. So I have my lot of um, spirit in this deck and, and yeah, it, it, it's, it's interesting. Um, I used to draw, I feel like last year I drew the nine of pentacles a lot. Ironically, I think the eight of pentacles is like one of the cards I draw the least. Same. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I just don't. <laughs> um, but no, like, I think it's interesting because there are these, like, the paradox of beauty versus ugly in this decan that comes up a lot. Like, I, I like that Austin brings up, like, Hephaestus, who's, like, a smith god who's the consort of Venus. And, you know, when you put them together, Venus or Aphrodite is this, like, really gorgeous, desirable goddess. And then, you know, her spouse or consort is not... uh but he makes really beautiful things Mm -hmm. um and then there's this huge element of like quality control and i find that like the perfectionism and curatedness of virgo really shines through in this decade yes like i really like that um t susan chang also describes this as perfection alone and tying that through like the imagery on the standard uh rws deck but also just thinking about the empress right Mm -hmm. the empress is usually someone who has a consort but in this context you know this is somebody who you know struggles to it's like i have everything i need but like there's either nobody to match me or people are intimidated by it right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so you know as someone who identifies as a woman i feel like I feel like this Deccan is really, it really speaks to me in a weird way. And I feel like this does show up in the charts of um, lots of women have in the Deccan in particular. Like if you look at their lives in some way, at some point they do embody, they do embody this. Um, yes. I I very much feel like I have embodied this. I do embody this. Um, there's a part of me that loves it. Like I, I had this whole Twitter rant just like the other night about how like like look, as all humans have a need for security and for freedom, right? And like I when I think of the woman in the Nine of Pentacles, I really think um, there's someone who has it's someone who has achieved both. Um, but yes, there is a loneliness and a solitude here for sure. Because like when you look at the Rider Waite um, illustrations of the Empress versus the Nine of Pentacles, like they're very, very similar looking cards, like off the mm-hmm. off the off the bat. But you know the difference between the Empress and like even just in their posturing, right? Like you see the Empress reclining. There's like a receptivity there. Like there's almost mm-hmm. like an invitation. Whereas there's a the Nine, the woman in the Nine of Pentacles is very posed, very poised, which again goes back to the curatedness of beauty. Mm-hmm. This, the Nine of Pentacles is a positive card overall. Like there's this ap- accomplishment, there's material gain, there's beauty, but you know you can also get caught up too much in just like preserving it to a point where you're like mm-hmm. not even enjoying it, or mm-hmm. you're just not accepting the reality that not everything's meant to last. And you know, going back to just the mm-hmm. art metaphors, yeah. I think a lot about museums, like the way art is displayed in museums. And museums are nice, they're my favorite places ever. But oftentimes you can lose the original intent and some of the beauty of certain pieces when they get displayed. Like I think of the Statue of David, for example, like it was never ever meant to be like in a museum. It was actually really meant to be outside where people can walk all 360 degrees around it. So many statues are meant to be viewed in that way. Um, 
you end up putting it in a museum and on one hand yeah you preserve it it's like there like right for everyone to see but on the other hand you just lose a lot of that original intent oh wow no i think that really comes across in 36 secrets because one thing she writes about is like the struggle between form and function it's like you want to preserve the form but like if you accept that things are supposed to be used like in the way that they're supposed to like obviously you lose some of that beauty as things are used right but then like if you don't let it be used as it's supposed to it you know like you were saying it's the beauty is preserved sure but it's not serving the purpose it's supposed to um thinking about my lot of spirit like i know that like in the past especially like i'm the kind of person who like i'll buy nice things and like it's like you know i've worked hard for this i wanted to buy it and I have a hard time using it because it's like I don't want to tarnish it but it's like you know you have to use things at some point because otherwise why did you buy it <laughs> right um oh it's relatable <laughs> yeah um another thing I wanted to say though was um with this particular deck in you know it's lonely at the top and sometimes you have to be the first or the only and that can be a very um alienating experience um for people um and i think that this is where the struggle of like venus and virgo and i think of like you know the venus saturn connection in this decade because saturn does well here as well um mm -hmm. it's almost like a gilded cage mm -hmm. it's a gilded cage like and so i find that people who have malefics here like struggle with that a little more than those who don't <laughs> yeah yeah no i i feel that i mean again going back to like i feel like the nine of pentacles is like someone who's like okay they've achieved like security right like um mm -hmm. whether it's material security and otherwise and they've achieved freedom because mm -hmm. yeah they're, they're they they can do whatever the fuck they want like they're by themselves but there, there really is there really is a real loneliness to it and even for me as some of my lot of fortune here as i'm really grappling with um and again this axis is very activated for me right now because i'm in the 11th house here and this lot of fortunes in my fifth house um yeah I'm, I'm planning to move i'm planning to start a new job i'm planning to i'm very likely going to end up in a city where i won't know anyone and i just have a strong feeling it's gonna really work out for me materially it's gonna work mm -hmm. out like in terms of the freedom i want to be i want to be who i want to be but i also really know it's going to come with just a lot of like loneliness and sure enough the hermit actually got drawn for me when i like did a someone else did a pool for me around like moving back to the mainland united states mm -hmm. so great <laughs> yeah i'm gonna read the descriptions really quick oh great and then we'll rattle off examples so great. ibn ezra says a black man all covered with hair on him three garments one of leather the second of silk the third is a red mantle and in his hand an inkwell to order in order to reckon um the picatrix says a man of beautiful color dressed in leather and upon the vestment of leather another a vestment of iron and this is the face of petition of desires and of wealth of tribute and the denying of things that are just um agrippa says in the second face ascended the black man clothed with a skin and a man having a bush of hair holding a bag they signify gains grouping together of wealth 
and covetousness. Uh, and then finally, the Yavanajataka says, the second decanate in the sixth sign is a beautiful woman whose limbs are polluted by her menstruation. She loves a man in secret for the sake of a child. She has learned striving on behalf of her people. She, she journeys to a foreign country. Huh. Hmm. That's interesting. I, I think when I see this, the last one, the Yavanajataka one, I think of... Um, I think uh, for some reason I think of Meghan Markle and uh, Kim Kardashian. I don't know. Oh. I, I just think I, I think of them like for some reason. <laughs> um, yeah, because uh, they have their Venus in this decan, and you know uh -oh. they no stranger to controversy. Like Kim's is in her tenth whole sign house, like ruling the sixth and the eleventh, and I really think that her. I think that shows in like how she curates her image, not just like her style. It's very understated and plain, but like people really like it. They're receptive to it. I also do think of the bodily modifications because I think it is, I think she's Neptune and Sag, right? Or I'm pretty sure. Let's yeah, see. she's got Neptune and Sag and it's pretty close. It's not too far from her ascendant <laughs> either. Oh, shit, hold on. I think it's squaring that Venus though. Yes, be. yes, it's it's like Venus is applying by square oh, damn. to that Neptune. That's tight. That's tighter than I remember it being. So yeah, no, I think that like her popularizing a lot of um, you know health practices, bodily trends, things like that, um, very much a part of that Venus like curating her image. But I also think of the fact that now she's transitioning into a law career, mm. um, and you know she's using her connections to do that. Uh, I also think of the fact that quite a few justices on the Supreme Court have placements in this deck and it's unholy. Um, I'll talk about them later, though. I'll let you share some examples. <laughs> no, I mean, this Kim Kardashian one's so good. And I wonder if are you planning on bringing her up too for Virgo yep. 3? Okay. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> okay. Yeah. My, um, you know, I actually don't have too many examples. So feel free to like rattle off multiple. Um, but the one I wanted to share real quick this is because um, this is a Venus Saturn ruled one. And I found someone who has Venus and Saturn exactly conjunct. Wow. Um, in the ninth house and Saturn's their AC ruler, but this is Ray Bradbury, the author. Um, mm -hmm. He, um, he knew he was going to go into the arts from a young age. Um, <laughs> his, his Virgo Venus rules his fifth house and his 10th house. And he has, ever since he was, like, he was young, he has a lifelong habit of writing every single day, which is what makes him such a prolific writer. He, um, he's written so many short stories as well as novels. Like I mm -hmm. was a big fan of his writing as a kid. Um, and yeah, I, I, I think it's really, really fucking fascinating that he has this Venus and this Saturn conjoined. Um, mm -hmm. and the, yeah, that Saturn's his AC ruler. I think it's worked out like really, really well for him. Like on top of being like a really well-known author, he's actually also known for being really like he's really popular he's really beloved like mm -hmm. people really really genuinely like him so yeah. yeah um so uh i'm gonna start with stephen Breyer, who's like i think he's like the longest serving justice who's alive right now um <gasps> on the court he has his mercury like pretty close to the exaltation degree conjunct neptune on his ascendant um he's had a pretty decorated legal life like he you know studied philosophy has held like a position um, with Harvard Law for a while before he was um, appointed as a justice. Um, 
I don't know, like, <clears throat> it just seems to, like, show up as him, like, um, what's it called? I think of, like, the petitioning and, like, the, the critique element that shows up here, especially because, like, he's regarded for having, like, well-written dissents and um, deconstructions of, like, uh, what is that philosophy? Originalism, which is very popular amongst some of the um, more conservative justices. Um, he's like very 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 precise about the law but like in a seemingly progressive way and mm. like he was saying something about how like he and you know Scalia are not that different like if you think about the things that um, determine uh, how he interprets the law it's just that you know he actually considers you know what what's the purpose what's the function of this law like not just you know the tradition part what's the function and how would that actually affect people? Like, I think that's very like Mercury conjunct Neptune. Um, and then uh, another justice. Um, so Samuel Alito, um, one of the conservative justices, uh, he has cap rising ruled by Saturn retrograde in this Deccan conjunct the moon. It's interesting because he's married to a law librarian. So like, that's also very ninth house who he met while he was a law clerk and like, that rules the seventh house right so it's like literal um wow. and i think it's interesting how like while he was um assistant to the solicitor uh general he only lost two of the 12 cases he argued before the supreme court and he was an editor of the yellow law journal and i think of one of those descriptions of the Deccans where it's like this is somebody who denies things that are just and i feel like that's the saturn coming through <laughs> and like you know, this is someone who, like, I don't know. I don't know. Like, I feel like him, you know, petitioning and, like, challenging things is very, that's very much on brand for how he approaches um, the law. Mm -hmm. And I think, like, this might show because he has, like, Mars in the last decade of Virgo. It's also retrograde, by the way. <laughs> oh, <God>. um, <laughs> yeah, but anyway, uh, what's interesting is Clarence, Clarence Thomas has uh, a ninth house Mars, which is actually conjunct Alito's moon, which is pretty funny. Um, it rules his midheaven. And honestly, I feel really bad for this guy because I feel like that midheaven ruled by that Mars is like him being like the token black person for a long time mm. in a lot of his... Um, uh, legal career and so like what's ironic is again he's someone who went to Yale like had this good education and blah 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 but like because he was coming up at a time where people were like oh affirmative action just got you here and they didn't recognize that you know he's actually someone who's very competent very intelligent and you know what I feel like that Mars representing like how um, I guess tokenized he is and like I feel like it shows in his very um is very I don't want to say like I don't want to be rude but like kind of backwards ideas of like what it means for black people in America to progress he has this very very um I don't know rigid way of assuming that people should assimilate hmm. right because like I think I was reading his bio and he said he he took he majored in English um like English English literature because he wanted to feel polished and I think of the fact that Mars also rules his fourth Holstein house, which is where he comes from and his roots. Because he used to speak Gullah, right? Which mm. is like, 
and I, I feel really bad for this guy because it's like, okay, yes, he's like not the greatest person, but it's like, this is a guy who's, you know, achieved a lot. Who's also like, you know, reading the law, familiar with the law, but like, I feel like because he's been tokenized so much, it's like mm, jaded him. And that's where that it gets lonely at the top really um, comes through, I think. Yeah. Damn. That's a lot yeah. of, <laughs> that's a lot of justices. What? Um, my last example for this is Sylvia Plath. <laughs> oh, I saw that chart too. I'm glad you picked her though, because I didn't. Uh, so no, go go ahead. Uh, she's she's a better example for um, Virgo three. But um, so Jupiter rules her midheaven in Sagittarius, and it's in the eighth house, exactly conjunct K two, the south node. And, you know, as a child, she was recognized as being really, really gifted. She was high IQ. She, like, was a talented painter. She got awards for painting, for fuck's sake. Um, not only that, but, like, she, um, at some point in her life, was guest editor of, like, some literary, like, publication. But, like, it didn't make her happy. And I think that's where that, like, um, Jupiter being fallen that perfectionism and then that south node like just being like okay now what this doesn't really do that much for me like i don't know <laughs> but yeah um let's oh, go to... real quick I, I have two final examples um, oh, okay yeah, just yeah, real yeah. quick yeah these ones i want to do together because they were only born a day apart and it's like oh, and wow. they're and they're both going to come up in virgo 3 as well but oh, sophia God. loren the actress and then leonard cohen the novelist and singer songwriter both um <laughs> both have placement both they both have venus and virgo in this deck and exactly conjoined in neptune Except the difference is Sophia Lorenz is in her ninth house and then Leonard Cohen's is in his first house. And I think it's like, these are two mm -hmm. completely different people, but at the same time, I, I think you can really see that Venus-Neptune conjunction in the second decade of Virgo play out in different ways for both of them. Like, mm -hmm. you know, Sophia Lorenz, a very classic, like, sex symbol, right? And the fact yeah. that it's in her ninth house too, like, she really did get exotified as someone who's, like, Italian and, um, and, yeah, um, but with Leonard Cohen, you know, he's known, um, the song he's most famous for is Hallelujah, which has that very, I mean, I think there's like a lot, like a very Neptunian vibe, mm -hmm. right? It's a very, very haunting kind of song. Yeah. So, um, but I'll talk more about them in Virgo 3 because they both have their son. <laughs> and then Leonard Cohen oh, has wow. his ascendant con exactly conjoined to the sun in Virgo 3. Holy crap. Okay, let's go to Virgo 3. This one is like this is like a really like it's kind of a rough decan not like rough and like the oh my god this is intense but it's like intense right because mm -hmm. um you know austin calls this the sarcophagus it's a uh, mercury and venus real decan um and then uh t susan calls this the return on enfleshment and there's this like finality that is ever present with this decan that is so loud you do get that you, with all, with the third decans of all the mutable signs, right? There are these death significations, <laughs> but this one, yeah, this one, yeah, death is absolutely in this one. But I actually think out of the different mutable signs, this one's like not as dire. Like I get a sense for this one. It's like, yeah, all things die. And that just kind of really touches on like the realism of Virgo. Um, but, mm -hmm. you know, is there a way where you can embrace that? And so when I think of this deck and I think a lot about that focus on legacy as well as consequences of actions 
And mm. um, I, when, when I think about Mercury's rulership of this sign and this decan, I think about, you know, this could be this, this could be a good placement for contingency plans, kind of similar to Taurus 3. Right, which is Saturn mm-hmm. Saturn, but um, but less dire too, where it's like not so much like, oh my god, whatever, you know, Murphy's law, whatever can go wrong will go wrong. It's kind of more like, okay, things are I, I get more of the vibe of like things have been going well. How do we make sure this is something that's gonna last? Right. And it's like, you know, knowing when to pass the torch on too. Yes. Like there's this huge like what is what is it that I have that can be passed on? What do I want to be passed? It's not like legacy, which I feel like is in the like because i remember um t susan describes like the judgment card which is elemental fire which is like the backdrop of like some of the fire miners is legacy in the sense of like what is it that i want to be remembered for how do i want to leave my mark this isn't that kind of legacy it's more uh, about like what can be passed on to other people like again that mercurial like exchange like what can be passed on and so like I think it's interesting that this is the Deccan that happens just before um, is associated with like the moments leading up to the fall equinox, which is like, you know, leading up to like an end. Right. And so also like, I think about the fact that Venus is um, co-ruler of this Deccan and her degree of maximum fall is here, like at like what, 28 degrees or something like that. (laughs) Um, or 20 it's like 27 or 28 and like um yeah it's just like you know the last minute okay what can I scramble together that's of value that can be you know transmitted on to the next generation it's like it's not as it's not this egoic like what's my legacy it's this you know what can be passed on Right. Yeah, I think it's interesting that both like Venus two, oh, Venus two, Virgo two, and then this deck in Virgo three are both Venus ruled. It's like in Virgo two, it was all around like the beauty and creativity side of Venus, but it's like this Venus is like kind of like okay, Venus two has reaped the accomplishments, and now like Virgo three is kind of coming to grips with the reality that this won't last, and I feel like Virgo two we talked a lot about the loneliness, right? Like it's like lonely on top and Virgo three has kind of realized like, okay, it's time to like connect to whether it's like the future generations or like whoever the mm-hmm. fuck I'm passing the tor- torch on to. It's like that side of Venus, like realizing, okay, there, there's, there's a community like that's associated with like what I guess I'm passing down. Right. And I feel like there's this element like that I get from like return on enfleshment, like especially when I was reading the 36 uh, secrets account of it there's almost this it this element of like oh I've been working so hard at something and like I've finally achieved like the material whatever but like you know your body's caught up with you you're old now like you you don't have the like I think about the fact that especially in this capitalist society that we live in um you know we basically work to die Mm. that's it (laughs) and like you spend your time chasing paper chasing paper chasing paper you finally amass enough paper but like your body's at a state where you need to slow down right and you can't enjoy it in the way that you did while you were chasing it right and so I really feel like there's this element of that but also this hidden concept of like the creations that you make that outlast you that shows up with a lot of the examples I have in Stegen. Yes, uh, same here. I have some good examples for this one. Um, but yeah, like, 
the Ten of Pentacles, right, is another card. It's kind of like the Nine of Pentacles, where it's like overall mm-hmm. this is a it's a it's a positive card. Um, like look at like look at all the Pentacles, right? <laughs> There's just so much gained. You've like really come a long way, but um, I, I like the other two decans and the other two cards. Is like it's there is some loneliness here too. Like even when you look at the Rider Waite illustration, it's like the old man. Like he is with people who are you know presumably his family or not. Um, depending on how you want to interpret it but he's also kind of like off to himself there's just kind of like an observation of just like what you've accomplished and kind of just realizing like oh it's time it's like time to pass this on move on um yeah i i also think it's interesting too that the it's the magician and the hermit combined yeah mm-hmm. like in this deck in of like and i i like that how 36 secrets goes into how they're both um both the magician and the hermit are wanderers it's just mm-hmm. sli- in slightly different ways. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Like, oh my God. So, like, I had like a disproportionate amount of like Moon and Mars examples. Like, I'm not going to go through all of them, but um, I, oh shit, I need to read the descriptions. I've gotten carried away. <laughs> Let me do that real quick. Okay. Uh, Ibn Ezra says, a white woman who's self laudatory. She's wearing a dyed myrtle. Her hands are leprous and she's praying to God. The Picatrix says, a pale man of large body wrapped in a white linen cloth, and with him a woman holding in her hand black olive oil. And this is a face of weakness, old age, illness, sloth, the injury of limbs, and the destruction of people. Um, Agrippa says, in the third face ascendeth a white woman and deaf, or an old man leaning on a staff. The signification of this is to shew weakness, infirmity, loss of members, destruction of trees, and depopulation of lands. Um, and finally, the Yavanajataka says, the third decanate in Virgo is a woman who is gracefully coquettish. Her face is smiling, her countenance moonlike, her one braid of hair is adorned with Ashoka flowers, and her steps seem to stumble with intoxication. Okay, like I will say that last one really reminds me of Kim Kardashian, just because her <laughs> chart ruler is in that decan. Um, who else? Also, uh, Doja Cat, because her moon and lot of fortune are conjunct in this decan in the 12th house. Like, that energy reminds me of them. But the the part about, like, losing limbs and stuff, like, oh, my God, Sylvia Plath is, like, a great chart example. Let me tell you why. Yeah. So, like, this is, like, really shitty. But, um, you know, she was someone who self-harmed a lot. Her Venus is in this decan. Um and you know like she with venus ruling her ninth house and her fourth she had these very complication complicated relationships with religion and things like that so what happened was when she was a child her father died because like his something about his religious faith um made him misunderstand that his untreated diabetes is what was giving him symptoms because his friend died of cancer but then he got paranoid and for religious reasons, he wouldn't, like, go get treated because he also had his foot amputated because he was diabetic, right? Yeah. Um, it scarred her. It really scarred her. Um, and it's something she carried with her. It did inspire a lot of her writing, but, like, it also probably mapped on to a lot of, like, emotional difficulties she had as a person. Mm like so it it's really sad <laughs> like this, this is literally a manifestation of her eighth house venus so it's like yes this is stuff she um won scholarships for she you know like was rewarded for but like it messed her up truly 
Um, and, you know, she is somebody whose like creations, you know, outlived her because, you know, when she first published the bell jar, um, before she, you know, took her life, um, people didn't really pay attention to it, but like, it wasn't until later that it became like this acclaimed piece of writing. Mm. um so there's that um, yeah i have i have good example i mean i have good examples of people whose like legacies got stronger for sure like after you know posthumously like Ma- mary mm-hmm. shelley is one like she has her mercury in virgo three it's in her three third house it rules the 12th house she didn't really become mm-hmm. famous she was she was alive in the 1800s she didn't get famous until 1970s like people didn't appreciate frankenstein until the fucking 1970s she mm-hmm. spent most of the time when she was alive really trying to um hype up percy's career um but i i do think it's funny especially that she became famous for a horror story you know with that mercury ruling like the 12th house too so and it didn't happen until like almost a century later yeah um so that's interesting like i also think about um like lin manuel's uh chart again he has saturn ruling his midheaven in that decan um and i think about like for one like if you look at the synastry between him and alexander hamilton like it's insane they have the same sun moon like like literally his moon and sun are like in similar places so he's like I think he's like a Capricorn balsamic moon as well if I remember his chart correctly mm-hmm. and um they both have Virgo placements Alexander Hamilton obviously has Jupiter in Virgo retrograde but in the second decan which is pretty close to where his um Mars uh to where Lin-Manuel's Mars is but then like that Saturn is like trying like the very end of um Alexander Hamilton's um Capricorn stellium which has you know the sun conjunct Saturn and then retrograde Venus applying uh yeah no it's wild the synastry between them is freaking insane and um I think about the fact that he has used again his artistry to kind of like preserve the legacy of mm, maybe certain systems like like so it's like here's the thing Hamilton was fun don't get me wrong and it was great to see you know people of color and you know uh, racialized people get to cosplay as these colonizers it's just fun it's like a fun subversion but when you think about what it does it's just like okay how is this different from a lot of what um representational like politics has become it's just changing the um systems of oppression that disproportionately harm these people and putting them in blackface in brownface like these are still instruments of these groups, right? Mm. And so, you know, I also think about the fact that he has had a lot of, like, successful collaborations, like, with people, like, both in theater and, you know, now in film. And I think about how, like, he's partnered up with Disney and, like, that's probably going to cement a lot of his legacy around yeah. creating. So there is that. <laughs> um I think um, for the rest of my, so I have like other examples I use. So I, I, I mentioned, you know, for Sophia and Lo, Sophia Loren and Leonard Cohen, who are only born mm-hmm. a day apart, they both have their son then in Beer Virgo three, but in, um, but yeah, in like different houses. Um, with Sophia Loren, it's interesting because hers is in the ninth house. It's the sun and its joy. She's an Italian actress who made it in Hollywood. And why am I really fascinated? Yeah, like on one hand, she was very, very much exoticized. 
the other hand, like, I just think of just how many other Italian actors and actresses are there, like, whether they're from Italy or of Italian descent, but she really, her, that, that is her legacy. She really is iconic in Italy and for Italy. Like, it's, like, for better or worse. Like, you walk into a Buca di Beppo's and it's, like, half of the pictures in the wall are Sofia Loren. Or her. So, like, it's her. her. <laughs> um, so I think about that, whereas with Leonard Cohen, with his son, so his son's in the first house exactly conjoined to his ascendant. And so this, the, he's a Virgo rising, which means the son rules his um, Leo 12th house. He actually um, converted to Buddhism and he like sometime in the 90s, he ended up living in complete seclusion in a Buddhist monastery for like five years, like completely just away. And so I just think so much about just the hermit and, um, its associations with Virgo. Yeah, no, like, um, I think about the fact that, um, I have another, like, son in Virgo example, so that's Harry, the Duke of Sussex. Um, he has a son rejoicing in the ninth in this decan, and I think a lot about how, um, the, eighth, the son rules his eighth, which has to do with, you know, like, secrets, and I see the eighth house show up with a lot of, like, therapy, and like you know wanting to talk about things that people don't usually want to talk about um and i feel like you know it's interesting how you know like he's going to publish this memoir pretty soon actually i think it was announced uh he's publishing it this year no next year and he'll be in his he'll be wrapping up his uh second house perfection year cuz i think he's going to turn 37 soon so that'll be his second house perfection. And if you do advanced perfections, you can like see when Holstein houses meet their rulers. And so the ruler of the eighth meets its lord in the ninth, like for much of 2022. And that's when he's like publishing this memoir on like his life. And so, you know, a lot of people are worried that he's going to spill secrets of the royal family when in reality, he's probably just going to talk about like less about family drama and more about like, you know his life and yeah. like maybe his process like journeying and like i think about the fact that the sun rejoices in the ninth as well and like this emphasis on like personal journey and development and like there's this weird spirituality to the sun that i feel is understated yes. and i feel like people with ninth house sons really like embody that very well and so i think that that shows up very well and i think him like popularizing like forms of meditation um and mindfulness because like i think about the stillness of virgo three like there's mm. the stillness or slowing down and i feel like he's at a stage of his life where you know he wants to do more purposeful action that um you know outlives him rather than like you know like just doing things to be seen and visible yeah um and then on the therapy piece um anybody who's familiar with uh Brene Brown who's like a sociologist social worker person who's like very popular and has all these like great self-help help books she has her moon in the 10th house in this decan and I swear to god when I heard her talk for the first time I was like she has to be a Virgo moon she has to be a Virgo moon and lo and behold she is a Virgo moon <laughs> <laughs> um and you know what what's interesting is that while she was doing social work and stuff like you know she's someone who struggled with addiction and like all this other stuff and you know it wasn't till she finished her master's degree or her phd or something that she finally decided to you know go to 
I think an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting and like to get clean. And so I feel like that really shows in her, first of all, like the fact that L8 is in the tent, like her being a therapist and then like her trying to help people figure out like, you know, what's actually important to them. Cause I feel like a huge part of Virgo three is like figuring out what matters, committing to what matters. Cause it's like, you know, you can run and chase after all these like material things, but, um, are you doing something, you know, purposeful? Like, are you aligned with yourself and like realizing how, um, a lot of that stuff is limited and will break down. There's like this inevitability of like loss. Right. And I feel like, you know, a lot of her work centers around confronting that. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think, so my final example is someone who has Venus and Jupiter um, in this decan. And mm-hmm. I, <laughs> I was like, you know, on your tweet about like Leo's and Virgo's and their love part history. Like I've said many times on this podcast, I was an art history major and mm-hmm. I have <laughs> both of those placements. But anyway, um, I try to find artist charts. I, I, I don't think I looked hard enough, but I do want to end with one. So mm-hmm. um, there's a French artist named Jean Millet who has um, Jupiter and Venus in this decan in the fourth house. And so that Venus rules his fifth house while Jupiter rules his 10th house. He was known for being a realist artist. He was the son of farmers and then ended up painting farmers. And that's not what he had originally went into art for, right? Because, you know, of course, there are all these expectations of like, oh, you you have to like paint like Venus and like classical art and stuff. And he ended up um, not doing very well in that. He actually really found his niche in painting farmers. And mm. one of his most famous painters is called The Gleaners, which shows um, gleaners at the, like, maybe this still exists in the modern world, but at the time, it was people and usually it was women, usually widows, like in extreme poverty who are allowed to glean um, the leftover grains and stuff after the, the harvest was already done. So they got basically all of the leftovers. And so, um, you know, one thing, but on just the 10th the, the, or this decan's um, significations around like or legacy or, you know, what comes, you know, kind of after passing the torch. Mm-hmm. Um, he was one of the major inspirations for Van Gogh. And so, so who, who also Van Gogh also has a lot of p- paintings that show agrarian life. And so I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. Um, what's interesting is like, I think I want to do like, I like out of respect for Britney Spears, I won't talk about her Mars and Virgo uh, just because of what she's going through. Um, but, you know, some of that does play out um, with her placement. Uh, but I think I'll just talk about Kim Kardashian <laughs> because, you know, she's got this um, chart ruler in this decan of um, in this decan of um, Virgo. I don't know. She um, she definitely has like a theme of like needing like to do things that um, I don't know outlast her, and she's always like. I feel like it's weird. There's this weird connection between influencers because she has her Jupiter there. Her mom has, so Kris Jenner has her ascendant there. <laughs> um, and then what's weird is like the founder of Twitter, Jack Dorsey, has his ascendant in that decan. And like there's this weird pattern I see with people who are very popular on the internet um, and people who are popular and in influencing um, 
I guess, pop culture having these third Deccan um, Virgo placements. And I don't know, it's interesting because I always find that some of the ones who haven't mastered, I think what um, T. Susan identifies as like needing to go beyond um, accumulating for the sake of accumulating, right? Mm -hmm. Because something she talks about uh, with this Deccan is, I wrote it down, where is it? So if you look at the uh, following cards, like whether you take like the like connected tree of life approach uh, or you take the uh, like following the decans zodiacally, you could either. So to overcome this, like, OK, what's next? I did the big thing. What's next? The idea is like having beginner's mind about things. Right. So you can look at the two of swords, which would be the next decan um, and kind of having this like you know, blindfolding yourself and like, um, we'll talk about this a little more, like blindfolding yourself and just trying to figure out like what's important, what's worth fighting for, what's worth talking about. Or like you could take the Ace of Wands approach, which is like go off and start something completely new, but like maybe without the influence of other people, but just for yourself. And so like, I see that, you know, with her, like, I think, for example, like the biggest thing that shows to me was the decision to end uh, keeping up with the Kardashians. Like, Mm her and her mom deciding hey it's time to end this right because honestly they're the main ones yeah. like yes everybody else is there but it's literally her and her mom yeah yeah and i think them realizing that they were at a point where they you know showcased enough of the family and had achieved something like with the family like i think that decision was very much like some i don't know what transits were going on i can't remember what was going on like when they decided to do that I'd have to look again but like I feel like both of them coming to that decision and then like communicating it to everybody else was pretty loud (laughs) yeah so um yeah and then just like the description of the Yavana Jataka is so loud like you know a coquettish woman who's like just out here living life like it's just so disparate from the rest (laughs) of the descriptions like Uh I don't know so um but yeah, like that's all I have. That is all. Examples. Yeah, that's all I have too. I'm glad we finally got this done, and I'm thank you to everyone for being patient with this episode. Hopefully, we can get Libra out there faster. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, yeah, so see you guys next time. Bye.